Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, welcome uh, to yet another whatever. <laughs> Who knows what this will uh, be. Uh, it's called Lynn Cullen Live, and uh, just to set us in time, it is September 17th in the year, God, 2020. Um, speaking of years, uh, the Jewish uh, New Year is coming up, so I get to get out of this year uh, sooner than some of you. Uh, <coughs> the Jewish New Year is... Um, starts Friday at sundown and uh, we Jews are on uh, you know I'm not even sure is it 57 81 hell with 2020 that was 300 years ago um, plus <coughs> excuse me okay um, anyway uh, happy new year Lashana Tova to um, any Jews in the audience Let's hope it's better than the last. <coughs> I, I'm going to be coughing, I can tell. Uh-oh. Uh, <clears throat> Remember when a cough was just a cough? Man, those were the good old days. <coughs> it's a good thing you're not here, right? You don't have to run for cover. Um I can so I read somewhere today that when the uh, Arabs and Israelis were at the White House doing their little signing the other day, <coughs> excuse me, Pompeo, our illustrious uh, Secretary of State, was seen um, without a mask, of course, nobody was masked, and hacking. Uh, standing near one of the Israeli uh, uh, folks. And the Israelis apparently were so freaked out by the lack of any, uh, any, you know, masks or being put so close together that uh, when they left D.C. and flew back to Tel Aviv, I guess they insisted that um, most of the people there quarantine for two weeks. Uh, understandably. Okay, enough. Uh, where to start? Let me start. <clears throat> There's, as usual, you know, enough uh, frightening horrifying things. Uh, Bill Barr especially scaring me today, but <coughs> the day is still young, and I'm sorry about this cough. I think it might settle down in a sec. I hope. I'm all stuffed up, too. I'm as good as a goner, right? Uh, oh, heck, let's go to your um, your emails. I've got some emails here, some I think left from yesterday, but uh, I can see two are uh, part of that uh, Your Life in Six Words challenge. Uh, I still can't get the so-called Hemingway Six 
word story out of my head that prompted this kind of thing. That story, if you weren't listening yesterday, was <clears throat> in six words, for sale, baby shoes, worn. Um, okay. Kurt writes six words. Born, got some things dry cleaned. <laughs> then he he admits he's ripping off uh, comedian Jackie Mason, um, who he said originally said something like. What's all this stuff about the meaning of life? Life is simple. You're born, you take a few things to the cleaners, then you die. Okay. <laughs> born, got some things dry cleaned. Oh, and then and then he says, and here are some serious ones. Oh, I like this. He managed to get three separate sentences in a, the six-word challenge. Here it is. Been there, done that. Now what? That's good, Kurt. And then here's another. Accumulated possessions. Anything you can use? Nice. Those are good. Those are good. You didn't have to rip off Jackie Mason. Um I interviewed him once. He was a jerk, but he came across as a jerk. I mean, that was his shtick, so maybe he was just in full shtick. I don't know. Um, and Allison has hers, and it is this. Hold on. Find beauty amidst ugliness. Well, how nice. How nice. Hold on, hold on, find beauty amidst ugliness. Ah, oh, guys, you're good. You're very, 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 very good. I didn't even, I, I never came up with one. I was, I, I always, I always thought that the hardest thing to be would be a, a really good headline writer. Uh, by virtue of the fact that they've got this kind of a challenge constantly, you know, sum up the, the, the gist of a, of a story in, you know, a few words and not only just a few words, but words that will draw people to want to know more and that won't, uh, that will accurately reflect what the story um, is. Uh, that's, uh, to me, it's just an extraordinary skill to be able to do that well. And uh, God knows we've all seen a lot of lousy headlines, but anyway, what else I got here? You know, let me go. I'm avoiding some things because there's some things here that are really upsetting to me. Let me go to... Uh, Stanley Crouch. He's dead. 74 years old. <clears throat> this is a guy 
who I never got. I was aware of him. I never read much of what he wrote, and he wrote prodigiously. Yeah, was, he intimidated me. Um, and I was just sort of afraid of him. I was afraid of his intellect. I was afraid of him because he was not easily uh, categorized. Uh, you know, so you didn't know, you know, with so many people, you you sort of know where they're where they are. And because we most of us tend to stay in pretty defined places. And Stanley Crouch always struck me as uh, I guess the word is iconoclastic. Right. And I didn't know enough about him to really have much of an opinion. My reaction to him was just that it was this sort of visceral uh uh, I'm scared. I was scared of him. A scared of a scared. I was a scared of his his yeah his clearly prodigious uh, brain, and um, and because I wasn't sure where he was coming from exactly, and never made any major effort to find out. I just ran. So I was when I heard he had died yesterday. I was particularly interested, now that he couldn't scare me anymore, to read the obituary and to get a better sense of who was this guy who I didn't know in any way oh, and, and who, who my reaction to was, was uh, you know, this unsettled uh, feeling of uh, yow and, you know, retreat. So I will uh, share with you some of what um, I gleaned from this obituary. Um, speaking of headlines, this is the headline. Stanley Crouch, 74, critic who saw American democracy in jazz is dead. Now, I did know that he was, um, along with uh, Witten Marcellus, the uh, founder of uh, jazz at Lincoln Center in New York, which has become, you know, it is the showcase uh, for, uh, for jazz in America. Um, <clears throat> and I think everybody agrees that jazz is the most uh, American of all uh, music uh, genres. Anyway, uh, so there's that musical um, aspect to Stanley Crouch. Um, but he's mostly a writer. Uh, he was a syndicated columnist for the New York Daily News for a long time. He also wrote for the Village Voice. He, he was a professor, even though he never had a college degree himself. He was uh, an author, an essayist. He won one of those MacArthur Genius Awards. Um, he he was something. So here's some of what I highlighted from the uh, obituary. Um, he called himself a radical pragmatist, which I like the sound of, frankly, because I, 
I don't know if I'd call myself a radical, but I, I know I am a pragmatist, a radical pragmatist, and he defined that this way. I affirm whatever I think has the best chance of working and of being both inspirational and unsentimental, of reasoning across the categories of false division and beyond the decoy of race. Now there, you see it right there. He is uh, provocative, and he is saying he's taking uh, – there are people who would like, you know, like wince at a few things he's saying there. First of all, saying something like the decoy of race and categories of false division. This makes him obviously um, a suspect to anyone who is a uh, – you know, and who has swallowed any particular uh, catechism, who has swallowed any particular uh, narrative, and you know, any deviation from that narrative uh, makes you uh, an outlier, an enemy, uh, the other, or whatever. And I'm I'm with him on that. And there's so much of that now on the right, on the left, everywhere. So he didn't like any of that. So I'll just go on. I'm going to read um, the next paragraph. Espousing that pragmatism, he found ready adversaries among fellow black Americans whom he criticized as defining themselves in racial terms. <clears throat> and excuse me, <clears throat> in racial terms and as uh, reducing the broader black experience to one of victimization. Okay, so he criticized a lot of black intellectuals as defining themselves purely in racial terms and reducing the broader black experience of, to one of victimization. He vilified gangster rap as birth of a nation with a backbeat. That's a good line. He didn't like uh, uh, Reverend Al Sharpton, called him a buffoon. He called uh, Louis Farrakhan insane. He said of Toni Morrison that she was an Americ as American as P.T. Barnum. Hmm. And Alex Haley, the author of Roots, he called opportunistic. Okay. So you can see this is a guy who you understand why I was always sort of thinking, uh, you know, he took no prisoners. He, he uh, stood uh, with no orthodoxies, I guess. He venerated James Baldwin, Ralph Ellison, and Albert Murray who he said saw beyond the conventions of race and ideology while viewing the contributions of black people as integral to the American experience. He hated the expression African-American. 
saying, I use Negro, Black American, or Afro-American, and as to why, you know, you'd have to go, I'm sure he has reason. He pretty much educated himself a lot. He just devoured books as a kid. He was born in uh, South Central L.A. to a father who was a heroin addict, who he never, uh, who was in jail when he was born, and who he never even met until he was 12 years old. And his mother was a housemaid who he credits with everything. He said his mother was instrumental. Isn't this often the case? Yeah. Black women. His mother, he said, was instrumental in his development as a writer teaching him the alphabet and spelling before he ever got to school, introducing him to jazz. And um, what else can I tell you? Because this is, goes on and on and on and on and on. As I said, he never graduated from uh, college, but at the age of 22, he was already a professor at one. <laughs> wow. He uh, got himself to New York in 1975, writing for the Village Voice. He was out of the Village Voice. Um, oh, no, he, the Village Voice was 1980. He uh, lasted eight years there and was fired after he uh, got into a fistfight with uh, another writer on the paper. Um I'll give you two more things. He he refused his writings on race ran often ran counter to the grain of liberal orthodoxies. He refused to accept the notion that victimization and degradation are the defining motifs of African American history. And the last thing I'll leave you with is his words. In an interview with the New York Times in 1990, he said that too many discussions on race were, quote, simple-minded and overly influenced by by the ideas of determinism. If you're poor, you're going to act a certain way. A self-perpetuating path And he credited his public school teachers in L.A. of keeping him from that path. And these, again, his words. These people were on a mission, talking about the teachers. They had a perfect philosophy. You will learn this. If you came in there and said, I'm from a dysfunctional family in a single-parent household. They would say, boy, I'm going to ask you again, what is eight times eight? When I was coming up, he said, there were no excuses except your house burned down and there was a murder in the family. Eight times eight was going to be 64, whether your family was dysfunctional or not. It's something you needed to know. 
Stanley Crouch. 74. I'm sorry, I was afraid of him. Ellen has sent six words. She says it is apropos to her husband. No commuting. Best vegetable garden ever. <laughs> oh, how nice. <laughs> I love it. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. We have a caller, so let's go to the phones. Hello. Hello, Lynn. Hello. Uh, early Happy New Year. Thank you. And uh, I wanted to say, I just forgot what I wanted to say. Ha, 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 ha. Boy, do I know that feeling. Well, one thing I wanted to say is, um, <laughs> you know, you got a lot of people out there listening, man, that sit on their butts and they never call in. You're going away again. Hey, hey. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. So it doesn't matter what you were going to say or you can't remember to say because I can't hear you. It always starts out fine and then you disappear. I'm just saying. He left. Who can blame him? Um. Bree is saying that he can identify with Stanley Crouch's uh, radical pragmatist uh, uh, moniker. He says, uh, Bree says, I like to refer to myself as an independent, pragmatic, moderate centrist. Common sense and the golden rule go a long way. I hear you. That's good. Sure. I hear you. Well, you know, that golden rule, do unto others, is, who is it? it? Was it, um, uh, was it Hillel who, when asked to describe his, sum up your religion, standing on one foot? Do I have that right, or am I, I think so. Can you sum, stand on one foot and tell me what your religion is? And he pretty much said, to do unto others, as you would have them do unto you. I think I got that right. And really, if you think about it, uh, unless you're a masochist, that really would work as a summation of a good religion. Treat others like you would treat yourself. And I'm just saying that if you if you care about yourself, <laughs> if you don't care about yourself, that doesn't work. It does not work. Um, oh, Lord, <laughs> help me. Uh, everything else is, excuse me while I mutter to myself, okay? Because as I look, I'm not seeing anything great. I mean, that's not heavy. Um, I think I've got a caller. Hello. 
Hello? No one's there. All right, all right, stop already. Okay, then I'm just going to go to some of the uh, <clears throat> more unsettling things. Sorry, guys. But um, I don't know if you saw this uh, uh, story. Uh, this was from the Washington Post, and it's uh, about what the uh, highest-ranking National Guard uh, person who was at Lafayette Park before all hell broke loose there the night that uh, Trump had to go hold up the Bible in front of that church. And um, the the highest-ranking D.C. National Guard person there was a Major Adam DeMarco. And, boy, his sworn testimony uh, to, uh, to the, uh, I think, the House uh, is, that is looking into uh, the military's and law enforcement's use of force against those peaceful, and they were, protesters that night in D.C., um, where they shot tear gas, fired stun grenades, set off smoke bombs, shoved, shoved these guys with shields and batons. I mean, everything. It was, uh, it was hell. They had said that they had told the demonstrators to disperse, but this guy... Major DeMarco says he was standing right there. And as the guy, you know, supposedly told him to disperse, DeMarco said, I couldn't even hear it. And the, te and the people were way farther away than, than me. His job that day as the senior most uh, National Guard officer there was to be a liaison between the guard and the U.S. Park Police. Um, and he says that they were actively looking just before noon on that day. Uh, the Defense Department's top... Now, follow this. This is beyond belief. The Defense Department's top military police officer sent an email to the D.C. National Guard, which is where DeMarco saw it, and it asked them whether they had something called a long-range acoustic device, also known as an LRAD. It's a microwave-like weapon called the Active Denial System, designed by the military to make people feel like their skin is burning. And it does this with invisible rays. It's called a heat ray. And it was developed to disperse large crowds, but got shelved, never used, 
because uh, you fill in the blank. First of all, they were concerned that it wasn't effective. <laughs> then, oh, yeah, somebody said, you know, is that safe or even is that ethical? So it got shelved. But we come now to the Trump administration. They know this thing exists and they want it. The Pentagon <coughs> considered using it in Iraq and wouldn't. They wouldn't even use it during war. You may recall that Trump floated the idea of using this on those poor migrants trying to come across the border. And Kirsten Nielsen, then the head of Homeland Security, said no, specifically for humanitarian concerns. But this... DeMarco, in his sworn testimony, the, the D.C. National Guard guy, said in the email, the military police officer wrote that this device, quote, can provide our troops a capacity they currently don't have, the ability to reach out. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, dear. The whole idea of reaching out just took on an entirely different meaning in my head. This wonderful device allows them to reach out and engage potential adversaries at distances well beyond small arms range. Good God, they're talking about American citizens exercising their First Amendment right to gather and voice their opposition to the government. And they're calling them adversaries. And they want to reach out and engage them with, with invisible rays that will burn their skin. Actually, in the email, he goes on to excitedly say, that this device can immediately compel an individual to cease threatening behavior by the application of a directed energy beam that provides a sen sensation of intense heat on the surface of the skin. The effect is overwhelming, causing an immediate repel response by the targeted individual. They were actually looking for that to use on those protesters. And the guy said apparently they never found one. Um, it's, I, I, I can't. DeMarco said that he felt compelled to come forward because he found the events at Lafayette, Lafayette Square deeply disturbing. His attorney said that anyone 
Department of Defense referred to American citizens exercising their First Amendment rights as potential adversaries and even contemplated the use of an ADS on the streets of our nation's capital calls for further investigation. DeMarco, by the way, also testified that a stash of M4 carbine assault rifles was transferred to the D.C. Armory um, uh, that day, the day, no, the day before, and that transfers of ammo from states such as Missouri and Tennessee arrived in subsequent days. By mid-June, about 7,000 rounds of ammunition had been transferred to the D.C. Armory. They were ready to make war on American citizens. DeMarco also told the legislators that having served in combat, he had spent time, obviously, assessing various threats, and that he did not feel threatened at any point by the protesters near the White House, nor, he said, did I assess them to be violent Quote, from my observation, these demonstrators were engaged in the peaceful expression of their First Amendment rights, yet they were subjected to an unprovoked escalation and excessive use of force. Well, we know why. So that Donald Trump and Bill Barr could stride through the carnage they'd created over for that photo op with Trump holding a Bible he's never opened. God almighty. You know, the head spins. The head spins. Uh... Well, thank you, Josh. So I was right. I remembered that right. Uh, it is the great Talmudic sage Hillel was born in Babylonia in the first century uh, before, first century B.C. As a young man, he came to the Holy Land to study the Torah at the feet of the Yedi. He was initially very poor, brilliant, became a face of the yeah, yeah. He's often mentioned together with One famous account in the Talmud tells about um, a non-Jew who wanted to convert to Judaism. And um, this person stated that they would accept Judaism only if a rabbi would teach him the entire Torah while he... The prospective convert stood on one foot. Oh, so he's, a, okay, the pupil standing on one foot. Uh, he went to this one, uh, you know, scholar who uh, threw him out of the house. <laughs> what I would have done too. And then he went to Hillel and this gentle sage accepted the challenge and said, okay, so the guy's standing on one foot and he says, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah. The rest is the explanation of this. Go and study it. There it is. Thank you.
Now, do I have a caller? I don't think so. I, I can't. It's, it's, they're in, they're out, they're here, they're there, they're gone, they're bleeding. Um, wait a minute here. Excuse me. Why am I having so much? Old lady with a... I have a caller. Thank you. It took me that long to get back to where you're telling me that. Okay, let's see if the caller's there. Hello? Hello. Hi. Hi. Hey, Hi. you were talking about uh, education and all that before. Yeah. It seems like in society now, everybody's educated. They want to go to college. They want to get skills. And, it, and that's fine. I agree with that. But you always have in school... The bottom rung of people who are not academic, not very good with skills, who really don't like education that well. And we've thrown those people to the side. And it was a big bulk of people to get out of school and get a job just with a high school diploma that paid a living wage. And we've talked about this many times. And the country really needs a minimum wage, a bottom rung wage. I don't know what the figure would be. And a maximum wage. Because there's so many people overpaid, so many people underpaid, they're maybe yeah. overeducated too. It, it, that's the problem. Until we get back to that, which I don't even know, who knows what happened, but get back to the way we were with that. I'm not putting down education or skills because I have them, but it's, it's, you're going to have a bulk of people who just aren't good at that. So what do yeah. you do? Let them maybe lead a life of crime or. You know, I mean, find another means that's not good for the No, you leave, them, you leave them to lead these lives of quiet despair that results in, uh, you know, they, we've, we can see now that it ends up with people as opioid addicts, as, uh, you know, it, it, it leads to early death is where it leads because there is no place for them in the society, in the culture. There used to be good jobs. You know, manufacturing jobs that people could have a, a a solid income and 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 a good life, and they'd be producing actual products, and they would have the dignity and respect that comes with that, and it's gone. And the thing is, a lot of these white-collar jobs that people are being told, go to college, go to college, you have to do that, they're going to be gone, too. They're going to be gone. I was hearing something the other day. Since the pandemic, uh, a lot of employers are realizing, hell, we don't have to have, not only don't we have to have offices for people, we don't even have to have employees. We can have contract uh, employees, we can. We don't have to be giving people benefits. We can just have everybody be a freelancer. We'll hire people because there'll be tons of skilled people. We'll hire them as needed, and they can fend for themselves. And that's what you're going to see these rapacious capitalists de- be doing next. And we got a question: Is the government for all the people, or just certain people? And that's what we got the problem. They yeah. seem to be controlling the government. So every it's not for all the people. It's just for a certain few people. And mm-hmm. until we get back to that, I don't. If that ever happens, 
I feel good to Biden, but he's got a lot of obstacles and a lot of shit to take care of even before he can even get in. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sick of repeating it. I'm sick of repeating it. But when Republicans uh, have control of the government and inevitably create total destruct, destruction after eight years of W. Bush, after eight years of or four years of this guy, the country always turns to the Democrats to clean up the mess, but they don't ever have an opportunity to then do anything other than that. Mess cleaning up is not the same as putting us, you know, moving us forward. It is simply cleaning up. I'm sick of cleaning up their messes. About Democrats when they're in, they say, well, they don't do nothing for you. What's Democrats? So I said, it's not what they do for you. It's what they don't take away from you. I said, when the Republicans, and they take off even the little you have, they'll take that away from you. So as long as I keep them in, I can at least keep what I got. I said, I'm breaking even. I said, even if they don't do one damn thing, they haven't messed with my stuff I had. I said, people don't get that. It's always, well, I didn't get anything out of it. It's not what you got out of it. At least they didn't mess up what was already there. But the Republicans tear down, just like this guy. He's the worst tearing down justice system, whatever it is, health medicine, all that, scientists. Oh, it's just. It is. I know. It's amazing. Got to go. Bye. 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 Get your optimism back. Bye. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) God. I have another caller. Hello. 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 Yes. Go ahead. Good morning, Glenn. Happy New Year. I love your show. Thank you. I just have um, a brief comment. I watched a show last weekend. It's a special on HBO. It's called Coastal Elites. Have you watched that? No, I've seen the the like trailer for it. Is it worth watching? It is excellent. Now it is billed as a satirical comedy, but there's moments where you really tear. I teared up. But mm-hmm. I don't know if you get HBO, but it's five characters from New York in L.A. coping with the pandemic and politics. And Bette Midler is the first person, and it, it's excellent. Okay. So I maybe you would love it, and I think your audience would as well. Well, thank you. I always like a good tip of some way to spend my time. Good. Well, so do I. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I I really enjoyed it, and I'm going to have some girlfriends over this weekend, and we're going to watch it together. Some of them don't get HBO, but it, it's very, very entertaining. So I hope you get to watch it, and then you could tell us your opinion, because okay. I value your opinion. Well, thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for the You're call. Welcome. Okay. Have a good weekend. You mm-hmm. too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, oh, God. Okay. I want to get to um, Bill Barr a little bit, just because this is the guy we got to watch. Uh, this guy is increasingly showing up on my radar uh, as the most dangerous person uh, in the administration by far. And um, the thing is, he's all in for for Trump. 
And unlike Trump, he is smart and ruthless and knows exactly what he's doing and what he he's actively trying to get this country into what I would say is a fascistic uh, position. So some of the latest from him is on a conference call uh, with, uh, among others, U.S. attorneys. He suggested that they consider charging demonstrators with sedition sedition. Also, mulled about bringing criminal charges against the mayor of Seattle. Speaking to a conservative group, um, when was this? Yesterday? He actually said that the United, if Trump loses, the United States would be on the brink of destruction. He told a columnist for the Chicago Tribune that the nation would find itself, quote, irrevocably committed to the socialist path if Trump lost. Um He also went on to compare lot, uh, the uh, governor's orders to, uh, you know, stay in your homes. He compared it to slavery. This is the Attorney General of the United States. I'll do the quote. You know, this is at Hillsdale College in Michigan. And I guess this was yesterday. You know, putting a, <clears throat> excuse me, putting a national lockdown, <clears throat> excuse me, putting a national lockdown, stay at home orders is like house arrest. Other than slavery, this is the greatest intrusion on civil liberties in American history. Isn't that amazing. So orders meant to stem what the United Nations chief called today, by the way, the greatest threat, let me get his words uh, properly, the greatest threat to the, to, I think, Global security, I can't find it, but that's, what I think, what he said. Um, in, in this pandemic is the pandemic. And here is the chief law enforcement officer of the United States of America suggesting that efforts by political uh, leaders to mitigate the spread of that, this deadly, deadly contagion is tantamount to slavery, asking people to stay home is tantamount to slavery.
good. I mean, I, words fail me. Words fail me. from a, a book that's written by a Republican, uh, a Republican who worked with on a number of campaigns, a guy named Stuart Stevens. And um, he's seen, uh, he's had a come to Jesus moment, apparently. Uh, the title of his book is It Was All a Lie. And so in this book, Stevens says that the entire apparatus of the Republican Party is built on a pack of lies. And he goes on to say, look, President Trump is not some freak product that popped out of nowhere. He is, these are his words, the logical conclusion of what the Republican Party became over the last 50 or so years. Um, and he just lays it all out. And what he's talking about, the big lie, is about things like their championing of family values, which he says is bull. Uh, their stoking of uh, racism and white resentment is just, you know, part of the platform and always has been. They don't care about balanced budgets. They only care about balanced budgets when a Democrat is in the White House. We've seen that, obviously. And, um, and he says that the party as it exists now is willing to sacrifice the integrity of our most vital democratic institutions. Well, that's fairly obvious, and we all do see that. Wish these guys had spoken up sooner. And there's a lot of books now coming up by people saying, don't look at Trump as some kind of, you know, strange thing that happened. He is the culmination of where the Republicans have been moving for years. And the fact that Donald Trump now has so supposedly taken over the party makes sense if you know the history of the Republican Party. Now there's a – oh, here it is. The United Nations Secretary General yesterday said that the coronavirus is the number one global security threat in the world. Yeah. We have a caller. Caller, go ahead, please. 
Hello? Yes, I'm here. Go, go ahead. I was just wondering with what you're talking about, this ties into it. Have you seen the local ads that our Attorney General, Josh Shapiro, now has one of your old uh, adversaries? <laughs> yeah, yeah, against? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it's but, – but this is just totally – this man has been basically – He's been one of the most effective yeah. attorney attorneys general that we've had in this state, and there's he, she's going to get shellacked. Yeah. There. So what what are they doing? Are they just are they trying to get more Republicans to the polls? What's the purpose of this? Because I see her as being a sacrificial lamb here. There's well, no way I'm he's sure, going to lose. No, there, I don't think there's any way he's going to lose either. But. You know, this is what, uh, you know, she's doing this to get more statewide recognition. You know, maybe she'll she'll lie and wait for another time when she can try again. Who the hell knows? Or she's, yeah, quite willing to be uh, the sacrificial lamb for whatever that gets her. But there has to be something more than that, I would think, because, Hmm. I mean, say what you want about her, but she's not a dummy. Um, and, And this just seems to me to be something that's just a waste of time and effort. I really don't. I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not a political expert, but I found that to be amusing. When I saw those ads come out, I said, and they're saying something about the murder rate? And, and it's on his. I mean, what is I that? Know. That is just such baloney. Right. Since it's, Shapiro's been in, why yeah. people are being murdered in the streets. Right. And I'm going, really? Yeah. I, I didn't yeah. realize that. I'm, I guess I should hunker down. <laughs> but um, I, I just thought I'd add that. All righty, but I think you're absolutely right in your prediction. She is going to be shellacked. Yeah. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, a quick little thing that I saw. And here again, you know, like this Republican now writing a book. Um, We'll see more and more, I think, of that. A little late, if you ask me, but what the hell. Um, I just wanted to point out a little thing I happened to see that the um, the chief justice of the Supreme Court of the state of Ohio, um, a woman whose name I cannot recall, was outraged uh, yesterday because the Ohio Republican Party and she's a Republican. okay. The Chief Justice of Ohio Supreme Court, a Republican, was so outraged by what the Ohio Republican Party said yesterday about a a judge's decision in a case. The judge happens to be a Democrat, and the Ohio National uh, uh, Ohio Republican Party came out and immediately said he was, the judge was, you know, doing this as a Democrat, had come to this conclusion as a Democrat and not as a jurist, and lambasted him, and she went berserk. Somewhat reminiscent of Chief Justice Roberts feeling the need early on in the Trump administration to speak out when Trump said something about uh, Republican judges and Democratic judges. And and he came out and said, there is no such thing, although you're left to your own. Anyway, she, she said this about 
pushing back at her, her own party. This is a blatant and unfounded attack on the independence of the judiciary. See, now here's a Republican jurist who sees what the party is trying to do and at least has the honor, even though it's her own party, to call it what it is. And she went on to say, no matter how the judge ruled to accuse them of partisanship <clears throat> is at the heart of what I think are efforts to weaken the judiciary. Well, she knows that's exactly what they are. And if you were to ask what are her politics, she is um, <clears throat> said to be, in the article, a conservative Republican. Henry writes, I just wanted to say that I really appreciate when your listeners call in and recommend a movie or a TV show. Maybe it's just me, but it seems most weekends I spend more time searching for a good movie than I actually do watching one. I know the feeling. There are just so many viewing choices, and most of it is pure crap. So keep the recommendations coming. Yeah. Oh, that is so true. Father Joseph said what we need in this country is vocational training as a viable option to a college degree. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> as he points out, it needs a system to support and respect it that is similar to the European model. Well, we don't do no European models here. Why do you think we are, a bunch of socialists? He sends me this where uh, about Germany's, <clears throat> excuse me, highly effective <clears throat> God, this is my allergies, I guess. <clears throat> Highly effective work-based vocational training system. Um, uh, this allows them a, a career, you know, successful careers. Um, almost half of the German population holds one of these formal vocational qualifications. Uh, has the lowest youth unemployment rate in the EU. Yeah. Well, it's just that we're not going to, we ain't going to do what they do. Um, Father Joseph also sent me a very interesting article that I don't have time to get into today. I had hoped to. And it's about that famous diorama at the Carnegie Museum of um, the lion attacking a courier on a camel. Very few of us who um, live here have not seen that at some point, and it is something that certainly gets your attention. It's a fascinating article about why the museum is now, uh, n well, they've pulled it from, it's, you can't, I don't think, you can see it right now. And they're discussing how and if to put it back. And it, it's a, 
it's a you know a subject that is ripe for some really good back and forth things. So I I'm not going to attempt to mess it up right uh, right now. I I also want to um, just quickly get into one thing here. I keep passing it up, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to leave it with you as we head into the Jewish New Year tomorrow night. And speaking of Germany, that's what made me um, think of it. Um, Probably the greatest uh, leader in Europe right now, hands down, if not the world, is the Chancellor of Germany, Angela Merkel. And uh, this week, she had the need to speak out against the rise in, and so dispiriting, in anti-Semitism in Germany. And she warned in a speech this week, quote, that it is a reality that many Jews do not feel safe in our country. And she said that anti-Semitism never disappeared, but for some time now, it's become more visible and uninhibited. Sound familiar? Yeah. Also, turns out that a hotbed of the anti-Semitism in Germany is where? It's in the police. It's in the police. A police force in Germany yesterday suspended 29 officers suspected of being, you know, white nationalist anti-Semites by virtue of the propaganda they were disseminating amongst themselves which was called uh, by the interior minister the ugliest, most despicable Nazi immigrant-baiting images. Um, A few months ago, uh, the German government disbanded an entire company. Now, this goes into their military. An entire company of German special forces because it was as they said, infested with far-right extremists. I read a long article about them, and man, they are scary. They were, they were uh, building up huge munitions, uh, you know, dumps. They had uh, safe houses. They were ready for war. And Germany is now really struggling to come to terms uh, with it. Uh, They raided yesterday the homes of a number of uh, police officers in five different cities. Um, Investigators have, have traced back to police computers information used in a string of death threats over the past two years that were sent to uh, Jews 
prominent Germans of immigrant roots and um, to left-wing politicians. The Homeland Security expert of Germany said, I am deeply shaken to those who are supposed to protect and defend our values, kicking them with their feet instead is scandalous. And we have to count on adding more cases. They think they're just getting the tip of the iceberg. As for uh, me, oh, and there's one other thing. I just want, you know, as a Jew, of course, I pay more attention to this stuff. Um, so that's Germany. And now here, back in the U.S. of A., uh, one of the country's biggest newspapers, the Miami Herald, <clears throat> had to come out and apologize because it turns out their Spanish-language uh, uh, publication had been carrying an, an insert in it that, among other things, said this in Spanish. What kind of people are these Jews? They're always talking about the Holocaust. And on and on and on. And they have been apparently spreading this anti-Semitic crap for a long time. The guy, and these are Trump supporters. These are the Cuban uh, American Trump supporters. And they're now, you know, pushing uh, anti-Semitism. It's popping back up in Germany and France everywhere. And as a Jew, you, you believe me, you note it. And, um, I received a, an email uh, yesterday uh, from someone. Uh, the the, the, the uh, subject matter is a f says, friend of yours. And I looked at what it was, and it was a story about um, some guy who's written a book um, about the impeachment because he worked on it. And he's a Jew. So that is the friend of yours thing. Um, and this guy sending me this article says this. How can it be this dude is aligned with Schiff and Nadler, all three birds of the same feather? He means three Jews. How can so few have so much influence and do so much damage to this republic. They take it upon themselves, the need for social change, and then are savvy enough to try to implement it. And you still wonder? It's a good job the vast majority of the American people never catch on to this sort of cabal. Okay. So that is from somebody who listens to this show and regularly sends me crap. But I make no mistake, everything he says here 
cabal, Jews, birds of a feather, savvy enough, influence, so few, how much damage, how can it be, blah, 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 never catch on, blah, blah, blah. This is classic deadly anti-Semitism. Just want you to know. And as Angela Merkel said, they're out, they're dangerous, and they're uninhibited now. And that is a direct result of the Republicans and Donald Trump. All right, Lashana Tova. Happy New Year. And I'll be back on Monday. Be well. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.